Good morning. Boy, John's right. God's Word is special. He creates life in us. Hey, before we get started this morning, I just wanted to talk about something, clear something up a little bit. Last week, I talked about criticism and how I was trying to encourage people, us, to, to, to criticize each other, if you will. And what I meant by that, academically speaking, criticism can come in a positive or a negative light. And as I made mention last week is that the first thing I learned in, academically in, in seminary is that it, it didn't really matter what I thought. It mattered what my opinion was in that I could back it up with truth. So if I read the scripture and I, and I misinterpret it and I get it wrong, I would welcome criticism. And in fact, Ramona had given me positive criticism. She was encouraging me. It wasn't negative, it was positive. But I was trying to use as an example that, that, that we need to be open and discuss the scriptures openly. And if we have a, a deviation, we, let's talk about it and see what the scripture actually says so we can take it seriously and stand on truth. It's important that we understand what the scriptures say doctrinally so we can stand on truth. Mickey and I, here I go again, <laughs> Mickey and I do this all the time. We start talking about something, and we might have a little different opinion about something, but as we discuss it, we go, oh, I see what you're saying. Right? And, and that's... <laughs> I had to bring him into this, this topic. Huh? <laughs> but, but that's the point. We should be open about talking about the scriptures, and, and deciding what the truth is based on what it really says. You know? and, and that was what I was trying to do, is just encourage us to open up. And I, I, I was blessed by what Ramona had, had said to me. It was very encouraging. The preamble this week, we're going to talk about um, how love, how God's love affects us, and how our love is different than His. God's love is quite different than ours. In Jeremiah 31, verse 3, it says, The Lord appeared to him from afar, saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have drawn you with loving kindness. And this is an interesting term that is used throughout Scripture a lot of times, like hundreds of times, this everlasting loving kindness. And it's a combination of, of two compound words, actually four words put together. Everlasting is, is past, present, and future. It's, it's throughout all time God has loved us. And loving kindness is goodness and kindness motivated by love. It's, it's a dynamic term that is used for, for how God loves us. He loves us in an everlasting way that will never end. Aren't you glad for that? Boy, I sure am. Because sometimes I kind of wonder, do you still love me, God? And he does. Because it's everlasting, and it's based on His volitional love. It's not based on our kind of love. It's a lot different. His loving kindness. Man, this is what He generates towards us in Christ. These four words are used together in the Old Testament hundreds of times. And Psalm 136 uses everlasting loving kindness 26 times in the 26 verses throughout that psalm. And here's an example. Psalm 136, verses 23 through 26 says, Who remembered us in our lowest state? For his loving kindness is everlasting. And who has rescued us from our adversaries? For his loving kindness is everlasting. 
who gives food to all flesh, for his loving kindness is everlasting. Give thanks to the God of heaven, for his loving kindness is everlasting. And before we talk about love, I thought it would be useful to define it by God's terms, not ours. And you know, this is understanding God's everlasting loving kindness. It's something that I'm challenged by, like understanding eternity. It goes beyond what we are. It's what God is. You know, it's like trying to understand eternal life. What does that mean? I don't know. We're not there quite yet, you know? And God's everlasting loving kindness is something we have to grow into because it's so much beyond who we are. And it's what God demands of us, too. He wants us to be like Him. So we have to grow into that. You know, and if you think about it, where do we come from? Our, our love, our type of love is self-centered, limited, isn't it? It's all about us. And it's emotional based. You know, and, and I think that man is actually incapable of generating the kind of love that God has, except from the fact that God does it for us and through us. It's what God is doing in us. Romans 12, 19-21 says, Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Now, putting burning coals on your head actually, I think, is a good thing. You'd have to look into the historical context of that. But the point is, you're supposed to be a blessing to your enemies. Do not overcome, be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This, this overcoming evil with good is, in is an example of God's love shining through you. And, and I admit, many times I fall short of that. I become angry instead of asking God for help. Unfortunately, God allows and encourages repentance, which is necessary for a couple reasons. We need to turn and change. The first reason is we can't handle revenge. You know, we will harbor bitterness and it will destroy us. And, and God, on the other hand, can handle it. He's just and he's good. And only God can handle revenge. You know, you've, heard, you've seen people who are bitter and angry, haven't you? They're out there. And it's obvious. We don't want to be like that because God is in our heart and in our mind and He has transformed us by His great love into something entirely new. <laughs> Revenge is something that only God can handle because He's God and we're not. When we repent, we acknowledge that God's love is above our capability and this allows God to work in our lives. And you can rise above the situation that you're in. We have a chance to make it about Jesus instead of ourselves. You know, we can make it about Christ. The stuff that we're going through, whatever it is, make it about Jesus. The good and the bad, make it about Christ. When we ask for God's forgiveness, it's based and derived from God's love. We ought to be very glad that God is love because we do not deserve grace. We need to understand that we deserve death and God has died our death and given us His life. This displays how good God is and how destitute we are. 
We need God's love to change us, to make us new. When we compare God's love to what we consider God, what love is, you know, our type of love is emotional-based, limited, and self-centered. And we have a lot to learn to grow into God's type of love. We do. In Christ, we see the love of God fulfilled and on full display. In His life, His death, and in His resurrection and ascension, we see what God has done for us. And He did it because of His Father's will. And He did it because He was motivated by God's love. Because He loves you. That's what God did for you. And, and it is my prayer today that this message will, will raise Christ high. Because we need to put God first in all things and really understand how God's love impacts our life. And let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, God, for sending your son Jesus to the cross instead of sending us to hell. You decided to send your son Jesus to the cross that he would absorb the wrath of God. He, your wrath was spent because my sin was upon Christ. And the congregation's sin was upon Christ. And your wrath was spent on Jesus. We're going to look at that today. And Lord, may you be magnified by your word and by what you have done. You have loved us with an everlasting love. And we praise your holy name because of what you've done and who you are. Let us not shrink back from this fact that Jesus Christ died for our sins because of your great love. Help me to speak. Help me to speak. Jesus, thank you for what you've done. May you be raised high. In your name and for your glory, we ask. Amen. The title for the sermon today is God's Loving Kindness is Everlasting. In 1 John 4, verses 7 and 8, it says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. And I love that verse that says that God is love. Just plainly, very economically says, God is love. And in the type of love, it comes from this word agape, or in the verb form agapeo, which means it's a volitional type of love. It is what God has, has said he will do because of who he is. God is love, therefore he will do this. He will send Jesus to the cross to die for our sins because of who God is. And you can't separate those two. God, Jesus going to the cross is because of God's great love. You know, you can't make it a legalistic thing like I'll just accept Jesus and then my sins are covered and that's it. No, you have to be impacted by the love of God to accept Christ and then your sins are forgiven. God loves us with an everlasting love. It's a brotherly love. It's accepting one another kind of love. A volitional love. It's not that we're perfect, but it's just that God has decided to do things this way. Love is best defined. Love is what best defines God. God speaking to Israel declares this type of love. I, we have a picture in our dining room of Jesus sitting over Jerusalem, looking down at Jerusalem. And, and this is what he says. It comes from this scripture. This is Matthew 23, 37. He says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets 
prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I had wanted to gather your children together the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were unwilling. You know, it's a matter of fact that God desires for all to come to repentance, but the fact of the matter is we are unwilling. It's our disposition. God's John's Gospel uses this term love 37 times and and 31 times in his epistles. And love is a a magnifying theme. And we've been going through the first epistle of John and we'll see today it's going to try to draw things together and better define this love. Because God's love in us becomes our identity. Love actually changes us. Love is a result of knowing God because love comes from God, not from us. And I'll bring this point out many times as, as I'm able to speak about the, the, the covenant that God has made for us in Christ Jesus was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah hundreds of years before Christ. In Jeremiah 31, 33-34, But this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put their law within them, and on their heart I will write it. This law isn't talking about the Mosaic law. It's talking about God's moral law that's guided by God's love. Paul refers to it as the law of liberty that is written on our hearts. It's about God's love impacting us so that we'll do the right things and do things the way he would like them to be done. And he says, I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they will not teach Again, each man his neighbor and each man his brother saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me. It's a subjective thing to follow Christ. You know God because of what he's done for you. You pray directly to Jesus. You know him. And from the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord, I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. Knowing God, abiding with Him, experience the love of Christ, and having our sin forgiven, go together. You can't have one without the other. Only God, with His infinite, capable mind, can forget sin. And He's the only one that has this kind of love as well. You know, we can remember sin, but Jesus, God, chooses to forget it. Isaiah 43.25 says, I, even I, am the one who wipes out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. The reason he can forget his sin is because of the complete sacrifice for sin in Christ Jesus. If God remembered our sin, it would be an insult to Christ. Think about that for a second. God is just, and the debt has been paid. Jesus absorbed the full wrath of God. And the devil would like to turn that around and say, oh, you did this, you did this, you did this. Yes, but God is righteous and just to forgive us of our iniquities. We stand before Jesus, before the throne of God, as if we are Christ. We are abiding in Christ. I am so glad that God wipes out our transgressions. And He doesn't remember our sin. The reason He can also forget our sin is because of the complete sacrifice for sin and also the fact that God has this this mind that's infinite. It goes beyond what we can think of. He can do that. He can 
cast our sin as far as the east is from the west because of who He is. He's infinite. And in Christ, Christ absorbed our, our sin, the wrath for our sin. God is just and the debt has been paid. And Jesus absorbed the full wrath of God. And we need to keep the love of God connected to the sacrifice of Christ. And understand that we did not deserve anything except wrath from God. And Jesus' sacrifice is an extreme demonstration of God's love. And I'll be honest with you, I really had a problem with this one. I was going through seminary and I started to understand more about the love of God and my own depravity. And I began to question God. This is actually a pretty dangerous question. I began to ask God, why in the world would you do this for me? I didn't understand it. When I understood my depravity before God, I was like, why would you do that? It makes no sense to me. You know, I don't know what I was expecting to hear, but this is what I received from God's Word. Ephesians 2, 4-7 says, But God, being rich in His mercy, but God, being rich in His mercy, because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places, so that in the ages to come he might show us the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. <laughs> Where's Brother Bill's not here, but he always says it's not about us, right? Well, that's exactly what this says. It's not about us. It wasn't about me. It was about the fact that God, because of his great mercy and his great love, did this in Christ Jesus. You know, and that brought peace to my heart and mind, knowing that it had nothing to do with me. It had everything to do with, it, with God. This is what God's doing. He's merciful. He's loving. And this is what He's going to do. He's going to send Jesus to the cross to die and pay the penalty for your sin. Not about us. It is all about Him. And I'll tell you, that was a relief off my mind. Because I was trying to figure... What did I do to deserve Christ? And I couldn't come up with very much. You know? Man, I'll tell you, that took a load off my mind. God is fully just. And He doesn't sweep things under the rug, like some would presume. God is just, and He's also love. And motivated by love, Jesus paid the debt for our sin. In 1 John 4, 9 through 10, it says, By this the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us. He says it again. And sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. The second point is God loves us in Christ Jesus. You know, it's interesting that we start this process actually as an enemy of God. We're God's enemy until He comes and changes us and makes us new. And we have no love. You know, we're actually against God. You know, and I think if we think that we deserve something from God, we're actually stealing His glory, aren't we? I did something that I deserve a little bit. No? 
What you deserve is the wrath of God. You deserve to be eternally punished in hell. Sorry, but that's what the Bible says. The good news is, God is love. And He sent Jesus. To the cross. We cannot steal glory from God. People who think they deserve anything from God are stealing His glory. It's not beyond us. It's not about us. It's about Christ. Romans 5, 6-11 says, For while we were still helpless, helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. And this, Mickey pointed this out, that this, this term ungodly is, means against God. Just doesn't mean you don't have God. It means you're actually his enemy. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good man someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love towards us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, shall we be saved from the wrath of God through him. For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Not that we only this, but we also exalt in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. We were helpless, ungodly sinners, enemies of God without Christ. That's our starting point. I think it's great that the children are raised up in the church. That's the way it ought to be. So they don't have to go out and, and demonstrate life under their sinful nature. You guys have an awesome opportunity to fall under the authority of God and, and know Him as a very young age. Sorry for putting you on the spot, but there you go. You know what I'm saying? And that's the way it should be. Because I know I deviated so far off the path as a young man. And God brought me back. <laughs> Hurt, but He brought me back. You know, because God is love. You know, I don't know, I was thinking about whether I should do this or not, but here it goes. You know the sound of music, right? The, the movie that happened a while ago? And throughout this whole movie, you had Christopher Plummer and Julie Andrews. You know, they're, they're first they're kind of separate, and she comes in to be the housemaid, and... and take care of the kids and all that. And there's this tension. You know that somewhere in this movie, these two are going to get together, right? That's the whole point. Well, finally it happens. And here's Christopher Plummer and Julie Andrews. They're dancing and they're singing to each other, going across the stage. You know what they're singing? They're singing, Somewhere in my youth or childhood, I must have done something good. Right? Sorry about that. But the point is, you know, something must have happened that I did maybe in my youth or childhood where I deserve this gift. And I think the point is that that's kind of how we like to think about ourselves, right? Somewhere I must have done something good to deserve God's grace and mercy. And God loves us. We're his creation. But it's not about us. If we understand what the Scripture says, the Sound of Music got it wrong. The Scripture says we're enemies of God. We're deprived. And be, just because of God's love, He did this for us. And I think it releases us. We don't have to worry about doing things 
to please God. We do things because we love. We're doing things, the right things, because God's love is in us, right? That's a huge difference in doing things to be loved by God. That puts you in chains and bondage. Legalism is a terrible burden that you will never overcome. And if you think you're saved by that, sorry, the Scriptures flat out deny that. You cannot be saved by what you do except confess Christ. And that's it. And then the things that you do are because Jesus is with you, abiding with you. We have been justified by His blood and saved from the wrath of God. We use this term saved. I've been saved. Some people don't know what they're saved from. I heard one person say, well, I've been saved from the devil. No, you haven't been saved from the devil. Sorry. You haven't been, you know what you've been saved from? The wrath of God. You have been saved from God because He is just and He is also love. That's why Jesus was sent to the cross. We're now reconciled to God through Christ. And this is talking about relationship. Remember the covenant? We all know God from the least to the greatest. That is totally awesome. That is who we are in Christ. We know Him. We're reconciled. And we do not do anything to deserve Christ's sacrifice. Titus 3, 4-7 says, But when the kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us not on the basis of deeds, which we have done in righteousness. But according to His mercy, by the washing and regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured upon us richly through Christ Jesus our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. That is awesome. This in 1 John 4, verse 10, it uses this term propitiation. And it's about appeasement or satisfaction of the sin debt. Jesus, when he was dying on the cross in John 19.30, he said, Therefore, when Jesus has received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. This word is telos. It means to the end, to fulfill a debt, a toll. When Jesus was dying on the cross, He said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why did He say that? Because He was absorbing the wrath of God for yours and my sin. He said, Why are you forsaken me? Jesus never experienced the forsaken, being forsaken by His Father before. It was the perfect relationship when He was bearing our sin, He absorbed the wrath of God instead of God's pleasure. And when He said, it is finished, do you know what that means? That is good news. Because the wrath of God had been spent. Jesus absorbed the wrath of God. Jesus' death and resurrection provides a path to God. The only path to God is in Christ. I love Romans 4.25. I was reading that one day, and the Lord, you know how He kind of brings things to your mind, and you go, oh, the light bulb comes on? 
And this was a, an awesome scripture. It says, he who was delivered over because of our transgression. It's causational. Jesus was delivered because of our transgression. And it doesn't end there. It says, and was raised because of our justification. Jesus Christ being raised from the dead is a huge thing. Because he was raised from the dead, we know we're justified before God. That's our standing before God. We come before the throne of glory now because we're justified in Christ Jesus. Everything about us is in Christ. We stand before God because we're in Jesus. We're justified. And we know that is true because Jesus Christ was raised from the dead and he walked around and he talked to many, many, many people so that he would be well known that he was raised from the dead. It wasn't a secret. Before he ascended to heaven, he made sure he walked around and everyone saw him. Everyone that mattered, anyways, that wrote things down. But hundreds of people saw Jesus. Jesus being raised from the dead ensures the wrath of God has been spent. And Jesus lives. We will do deeds as a result of God's work in us, but we do not deserve anything from God. God would be totally justified today to wipe us out and send us to hell, except for his promises in the work of Christ. He's determined to do something else with us. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know, and sometimes I just thank God that he lets me to walk on his earth and breathe his air. I said, thank you, Lord, for another day. I'm just glad to be here. How can I serve you today? What's up? You know, what can I do? I'm just glad to be breathing. And frankly, we ought to all have that attitude, I think, because the Lord is good. You know, and this is what I meant by determined will that God determined to do this in Christ Jesus. And this is another point, but I had a friend once who asked me, so what's so special about the Bible? Anyways, right? Uh, so I said, well, open up and read Isaiah 53. And I said, who's that talking about? And he says, that's talking about Jesus. And that was written about 600 years before Christ was born. That's what's special about the Bible. You ought to pay attention to this. But I don't know how you could read Isaiah 53 and know that was written about Christ and then totally ignore it and walk away from it. I don't know. But this is what God's determined will is. Spoken by the prophet Isaiah hundreds of years before Christ was even born. He says, By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation who considered that he was cut off from the land of the living for the transgression of my people to whom the stroke was due. He died for you and me. His grave was assigned with the wicked man, yet he was with a rich man in his death. Because he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. But the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief if he would render himself as a guilt offering. He will see his offspring. He will prolong his days. And the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied. And by his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify the many as he bears their iniquities. And here's the point of this. God the Father was pleased to crush Jesus 
because of his great love towards us, his offspring. Some people think God's not fair. They look at them themselves as, well, God's not fair. I agree with them. God isn't fair. Look what he did to Jesus. Man has nothing to complain about. We're lucky to be walking on this earth and breathing air. But look what God did to Jesus Christ, his own son. That's not fair at all. And I'm glad God's not fair. Because if God was fair, we'd be in trouble. God loves us. And because of his love, he did some marvelous things for us in Christ Jesus. We need to understand what God has done in Christ. And we should begin to realize the enormity of God's love. His generosity in Christ brings him great glory. It's hard for us to realize because we are so self-centered. However, God wants us to be like him through the works of Christ and the Holy Spirit. John uses brotherly love as evidence of God's presence in the believer's life. What else could be better? A test of our faith and brotherly love because of God in us. In 1 John 4, verses 11 through 14, it says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. Not that no one has ever seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. We have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. And the third point is because we love, we go. God's Spirit is abiding in you and His love is perfected in you and that means that you'll want to reach out to other people. God's creative power is through His love. We have God's love in us the moment we believe and you cannot get more of God's love or His Spirit. We need to realize that we, what we have and grow into it through truth and understanding, knowledge of what God has done and the works of His Spirit in us. Jesus, I love the way He put it in John 14.20 about abiding with God. He says, In that day you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. He invites us to abide with Him with the triune God. This expression of God's love is a product of the Holy Spirit, Jesus, and God the Father within us. In Ephesians 5, verses 1 and 2, it says we're supposed to be imitators of God. It says, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. We should serve each other with willingness. This is what I want to do for the body of Christ because of Christ. Because of Christ in us. You know, and also to spread the truth about Jesus around the world and to our neighbors and friends. You know, I think if we ask ourselves, how are we to be imitators of God? Well, would Jesus know what to say to the lost? Sure he would. And so should we. In 1 John 2, verses 5 through 6 says, But whoever keeps his word in him, the love of God has truly been perfected. By this we know that we are in him. The one who says he abides in him ought to walk himself 
in the same manner as he walked. So how are we to walk? You know, if we look at Christ's life, I think we get a good idea of that. Did Jesus hang out with sinners? Yeah, he did. He, remember in, in John 4, when he met the Samaritan woman at the well? You know, and he expressed the truth to that lady, and she finally got it. She understood that he was the Messiah and went and told other people. But do you know what opened up that conversation with that lady? They were at the well, and the disciples went into town. And Jesus said, could you get me a drink? What are the implications of a Jew asking a Samaritan woman who has a reputation, apparently, for a drink of water? He would take her cup and drink from her cup. And do you remember her expression was like, um... You're not from around here, do you? I'm a Samaritan, and I'm a woman, and you're not really supposed to act this way. I think when we go out and we talk to the lost, we should understand that the lost are lost. They, whoever they are, and however they talk, whatever, they're lost. How do you expect the lost to act? We, they need Christ just like we do. And we need to do just like Jesus did. So we see because of God's work on us, we have the Holy Spirit abiding with us. And he creates the image in us, Christ's image. Therefore, we should walk as he walked and do as he he wills. And this section ends in 1 John 4.15. It says it's our job to testify that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. That's our job. And certainly that's testified in other parts of Scripture. As well. In Christ, we can observe how love motivates obedience. That is what Christ demonstrates on the cross. The perfect love of God sent Jesus to the cross to die for your sins. The perfect love of God that is put in your heart should demonstrate obedience as well. Whatever God wants you to do. The outcome is we should want to do what we were told in action, moral law, knowing truth, and speaking the truth to the lost. And in regard to witnessing or, or sharing God's truth, I think we have some hurdles to overcome. You know, something's happened in history. Let me talk about that for a second. That kind of put us in a situation we're in right now. First, the Catholic Church, if you will. And I don't mean to bash Catholicism necessarily. But when Rome said that Christianity is going to be the state religion, that created some problems. Because now, whose job was it to tell people to go to church? It was the government's job. And everyone went to church because, hey, we're Christian now. Everyone go to church. And because of that, I think it it lost, the, the first century church lost kind of their way a little bit. There were people within that movement that followed God, but overall, it wasn't the way the church was supposed to operate. We are supposed to go out and touch people, not the government telling people to go to church. That's not right. The second thing I want to talk about is in America. You know, we have an understanding, which is true, that this this country was founded on Christian principles. And that is exactly true. If you look at our First Amendment, Congress will make, make no law respecting the establishment of religion or the free exercise thereof, right? That's the way it starts out. And that gives you the right to come here today and worship. The government can't mess with us because we're exercising our freedom of religion. That's a good thing. 
However, throughout American history, we kind of understand that, hey, everyone's Christian here. Guess what? That's not working out so good for us, is it? Because in our Americanism, which isn't a bad thing, and again, I've defended the Constitution of the United States, I'm willing to do that now, but the point is, is that we kind of think that, well, everyone's Christian. No. Society has drifted away from Christ. And that gives us an opportunity to reach out and touch people with the truth of God because they don't know it. You might be the only truth that Jesus that, that, that they will see. That You can take Jesus to them and say, this is who Jesus is and what he's done for me. This is what the scripture actually says. And the idea of the church reaching out is about all of us, just like the first century church. All of them went out. Everybody. It's not just the preacher's job to profess Christ. Hopefully, the preacher is doing his job. (laughs) Right? But it's your job too. We're all priests unto God. We are to reach out and touch people with the truth of God, with the love of God that He's put in our heart. And the suffering that He puts you through is an opportunity to shine Christ's love. You know it's going to hurt. And the good things that God has set before you, it's an opportunity to shine Christ's love. Either way. I think the real problem is the church in America has not lived up to the Great Commission. It's caused by either historical expectations from the Catholic or American tradition. It really doesn't matter. But the solution is to become more like the first century church. That is the model for evangelism in the Bible. People who are reaching out with the love and the truth of Christ through trusted relationships. And just to say, <laughs> our motto, I think, is a little bit off. All right, here's going to get me in trouble. Here we go. But, you know, no, grow, multiply, right? And, and, and it's just a motto. But, I mean, yeah, we should know and we should grow in Christ. I got that. But the multiply part is God's doing. It's our job to go. And when you go, whether someone accepts Jesus or not, you are being successful if you just share Christ and you're praying for that person. Because that person might, not, might have to hear the truth of God for eight times, maybe more, nine times, 20 times, before he accepts Christ. You don't know. But if you just share your faith, you're being successful. And especially when you pray. Oh my goodness, when you pray, do you realize who you are? You are the bride of Christ. You have direct access to the throne of God. We're going to talk about that in a minute. When you pray, you have access to God's heart. Think about that. And he loves people. He loves people. You know, sometimes we just don't know what to say. But we need to learn and reach out with truth. And that's something we can do in Christian education, is to teach each other how to be better about reaching with people with the truth. And we're under the authority, bound together, under one mission to make disciples. In 1 Peter 3.15, it says, We give account of the hope that is within us with gentleness and reverence. It is what God wants us to do to reach people with gentleness. Hey, this is the truth of God. And reverence because it's God that we're introducing to them. You know, and talking about under authority. You know, I was under authority in the army for many years. And I just want to make a comparison. 
And if you're a commissioned officer or a non-commissioned officer, or even the President of the United States, you all make the same uh, commissioning. During your commissioning, you say the same thing. And that is you defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic, so help me God. And everyone says the same thing. But what that does is it puts them on the same mission. This is what your mission is, is to defend the Constitution. And it binds people together. It doesn't matter what your individual job is, but it brings people together and they understand that they're doing things together for a purpose. In the church, it's very similar to us. God has given us a co-mission. Think about that word for a minute. Who are we co-ing with on our mission? Somebody whispered it and said, Jesus. That's right. You're on a co-mission with Jesus, with Christ. He came so that he would die for a sacrifice for our sins. And we dare to take that message that that God sent the Son to die for our sins into the world so that some may be saved. We're on a co-mission with Christ Jesus. And guess what happens when you start acting and praying in, in accordance with your mission? Oh, glory. Here we go. <laughs> God rains down and he will help us in that. He absolutely will. You know, I, we talked a lot about being under God's authority. And, and you're going to say, oh man, here he goes again. Well, I want you to understand something about being under authority. That God spent a long time dealing with me so that I would understand it. At least he had to start with it. The first thing is it aligns us with God's will. If you're under authority, you're being obedient to God's will, you're doing what he wants you to do. Okay? And the second thing that it does is it gives you authority. Because you're asking in accordance with God wants you to do. And if you're asking in accordance with God's will, he hears you, and if he hears you, you have your request. That's the way... The Bible puts it. But you have to understand that you're acting under authority. Now what does God want us to do? He wants us to go out and make disciples. That's it. That's the mission that he has for us. You know, I wish Bill was here. You can pass this along to him, please. But let's say Bill gets on his jet airliner. I'm going to start singing like Stevie Miller, but I'll hold back. He's a... Never mind. Anyways, so let's say Bill gets on his jetliner and he has a mission to go from uh, Florida and then he's going to go to Nevada. Let's say Bill says, hey, today I don't feel like going to Nevada. I'm going to go to Mexico or something. How many times do you think Bill's going to make that trip? One time, hopefully, and that will be it. That's done. And it's the same thing when we, under, under authority, act and do things according to what God wants us to do. We have to do things according to what God wants, and then we can do it. You guys, when you drove here to, to church this morning, I bet those who had driven, all of you drove on the right side of the road. Why did you do that? What if you felt like driving on the left side for a while? Some countries do that. You would lose your license. You would probably get in an accident. They would pull you over because the authorities say we're all going to drive on the right side of the road. 
Operating under authority gives you ability to continue to operate. Think about what you're asking for. If you're asking, the Lord puts on your heart someone to pray for. And you pray in accordance with his will for that person. What exactly are you asking for, for that lost person? You're asking for that person to be brought back to life. That person is dead in their transgressions and sins. And you're asking God for a greater miracle than raising Lazarus from the dead. Lazarus was just raised back to life physically and then he died again. When you pray in accordance with God's will and you say, God, please help save this person. Please, God, help save this person. You know, when you pray in accordance with that, God hears you because He loves that person. And it's a prayer of faith. You have to keep praying that and sharing their testimony with that person so that he gets it or she gets it. But you're asking God to raise that person back to life. It's a, it's a marvelous miracle that God does to regenerate a person. And it's what we're supposed to do. The Great Commission says, Matthew 28, 18-20 says, And Jesus come up and spoke to them. He said, All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Well, why did he say that? Because all authority had been given to him. And if he tells us that we pray in accordance with his will, he'll hear us, you know, give us what he requests. Guess what? You'll have your request. He tells us then to go make disciples of all the nations and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I command. Then he says, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. The first step in making a disciple is to share Christ with them. And I think we've neglected this in, in, uh, in the body of Christ we try, but we don't really know what we're supposed to say, or we don't pray properly, or you know. And I'm speaking to myself. We can all do more, but it's it's what God wants us to do. It should be the main thing that we're about. And once we baptize and teach them, we need to stay with people. We have a bunch of like orphans in the church, people who have never grown up in Christ because we haven't come together as brothers and sisters and walked with each other. And helped each other to know who Jesus is and what he wants us to do. It's not about numbers in the church. It's about obedience in the church. It's about us doing what God wants us to do. That's the main point. I firmly believe the answer to revival is about us. It's about us. about you and I. Why do I say that? Well, let me ask you a question. Do you think God wants this community that is around us to come to know Jesus? It says in the Bible that he does. John 3.16, we all know that. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. God wants our communities to be saved. He wants our families and, and, and friends to know Jesus. The fact is we need to pray and be deliberate about what we're saying to them so that they can understand who Jesus is. We don't know who the next whoever is. Whoever believes him and shall not perish. But he's out there. 
They're out there all around us. And we need to be deliberate about sharing what Jesus Christ has done for us in our hearts and minds and by His truth in the Scripture. And it's not our job to convict anyone of sin. John 16, 8-11 says, When He comes, the Holy Spirit, He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin because they don't believe in Christ. They don't believe in me. And concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you no longer see me. What that means is the Holy Spirit will say, hey, this is who you are and this is who Christ is. You don't measure up. And the end result of that is concerning judgment because the ruler of this world has already been judged. They're under judgment. And it's our job to declare God's great love in Christ Jesus. And it's our job to lift Christ up so people can see Jesus, to see Christ in his glory. Then they will see their need and bow before his throne. Last night as I was practicing this, I'll tell you what, the Holy Spirit fell on me and I fell to the ground. And it was a marvelous thing because I was praying for my friends at work. I had to save this till the last because I know I'd get all broken up. I was like, God, I don't want my friends to go to hell. I don't want them to go to hell. Please. You know, and the Holy Spirit just helped me to pray that prayer. And I I now have this hope within my heart that when I go to work and and I'm able to share truth, I'll see what God's doing. Because I know that's what He did last night in my prayer life. He pushed me to the ground. You pray for them that they will know Christ. And now... I can't wait to go to work tomorrow. Who can I talk with? Right? Who is Jesus opening their eyes and heart? Where is God bringing the dead back to life? But in our friends and family, I knew I was going to lose it here. God loves people. He loves us. And He loves them the same way. We have to be deliberate in how we reach out to people with God's love, with gentleness, yes, but with truth and understanding that Jesus Christ loves them and has died for their sins and wants them to be in a covenant relationship just like we are. That's the point we need to be about. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you, God, for your mercies. Thank you for your great love and thank you for your everlasting loving kindness expressed to us in Christ. Thank you, God, for bearing our wrath, our sin debt has been paid. And because of that, we freely come before your throne. And as we come before your throne, we acknowledge that you have given us a mission, that we are to share your truth with people. And I pray, Lord, that you will give us the words and the wisdom to say and give us the courage to say it. And we recognize that you are the one that is working in people's lives. It's not us, it's you. And help us to be used by you to go out and touch those who are in our life every day. That they can know the truth as well. And we rejoice in what you're doing, God. We give you praise and glory and honor. And we thank you, God, that you're with us and we, we ask that you help us to share your truth. Thank you, Lord, for your love and mercy, and thank you for your goodness. And it's Jesus' name. May you be lifted up. It's not about us. It's about you. We love you because you loved us first. Thank you, God, for your mercy. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.